0: Hello there, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman, and you're listening to Exploring Different Brains. Hi, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains here at differentbrains.com. We have the pleasure today of talking to my friend, Dr. Lori Butts, who in addition to being the founder of the Clinical and Forensic Institute, Inc., um, is one of the few psychologists with her doctorate degree in psychology and also a law degree. Laurie,
1: welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, haki
0: Let's talk about different brains in general and see if my thesis coincides with how you see it. It seems clear to me that Especially, I've just come back from speaking at the Aspen Brain Lab at the Aspen Institute, and it really seems like there's so many commonalities between just picking at random Alzheimer's, autism and Asperger's, bipolar, depression. How do you see it? How do you see, do you see mental health issues the same as intellectual disability issues? Regards to neurodiversity and maybe neuroplasticity, um, do you see uh, neurological disorders like Parkinsonism and the overlap into Alzheimer's? And because I don't see anything occurring in isolation, everything's right. got comorbidities. Right, right. How would you sort out the jumble that I just said? <laughs>
1: Well, you know, there's a lot of pressure in my field in particular to label things and to give an accurate diagnosis. I mean, you know, in graduate school, you you learn diagnoses and these are the criteria for the diagnoses. And I I understand that so that we can speak um, a, a shorthand so that people can speak about what different people are are suffering in a shorthand version. And but You know, I like to, if I had a choice, I would prefer to talk about symptoms, not labels. So somebody is having executive function problems. Somebody's feeling sad, depressed and hopeless um, rather than rather than just a, a label. Because, I mean, you know, somebody with two people with autism are can have a completely different set of experiences uh, than each other, but yet they still have the same label. So it, the label's not really, it, it, it doesn't give us any information. The information we want is what is a person struggling with so that we can intervene in that area, so we can give them skills in this area, so we can give them skills in that area. Um, and and yeah, when you boil down the skills that we're giving people, they're all pretty similar. Um, uh, you know, we, we, we tailor them to somebody's individual needs, but when you take a broad brush, there are a lot of things that as human beings, we know, make you feel better, think better, um, and are happier and all of those positive things.
0: What is the one, one thing that you think a lay person like myself, who's not in psychology the way you are doesn't get about mental disorders, and intellectual disabilities, and different things that you uh, are involved with, what would be a big surprise to them if you could think of something that they just don't, that the average person just has no clue, but you know it because you're in there every day?
1: I I think that, um, that we are more comfortable saying distancing ourselves from people who have mental illness because it keeps us safe so when you make a distance that it's somebody else it's never going to happen to me I don't have those problems it keeps you psychically safe it's like it's a defense mechanism so I, I think that our communities need to recognize that you don't well a couple things one is you don't need to have a label of a mental illness in order for techniques that we use in psychology to help make your life better um and and it's and it's not only for quote unquote sick people um that that we can give you resources and skills to enhance anybody's life and that um, it doesn't have because somebody has been diagnosed with a mental illness, it doesn't mean that's a life sentence um, that they can't accomplish anything. I mean, you know, people rise above, they get treatment, they move forward. And clearly, with the statistics with the different people that are taking antidepressants, anti anxiety medication, there's lots of people functioning well in our community that don't talk about their mental health issues but they are clearly getting treatment for their mental health issues and they're functioning appropriately. Um, I think right now one of the biggest myths is that mental illness is associated with violence. It's not. I mean it it, there are these you know very famous uh, statistical points um, but people with mental illness are no more likely to be violent than people without mental illness. Um, the real, the real um, issue, it, well, one of the real issues, the, the, the strongest variable associated with violence is substance abuse. So substance abuse is more likely to um, be related to violence than to mental illness.
0: I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. There's something I know. Mm-hmm. Now we've, we've learned that. That's great. So when we interviewed William Packard, who wrote the book on intellectual disabilities in the justice and prison system, what was startling to me, but kind of goes with what you're saying a bit, in a way, is in the prison system, I forget the exact numbers, but I think he was saying between 50 and 70 percent of the prisoners have some kind of intellectual disability or mental disorder or something of that nature. But then he said the staff there and the guards are probably up in the 50% range themselves and that there's kind of a fine line there. Do you have any thoughts on that? And I, I might be quoting the statistics wrong and I don't mean to heap any aspersions on any uh, officers or people who staff prisons but and there's a lot that goes under the roof of intellectual uh disabilities uh, i call them and our website's called differentbrains.com and i think if you add up just the people in this room i don't think any of us are neurotypical you included <laughs> 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 and uh You know, if you start adding up uh, the 1 in 5 Americans on anti-anxiety medications, and PTSD, 1 in 13 Americans, and OCD, and ADHD, and autism, Asperger's, depression, bipolar, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Um, So putting this in the context of prisons, and you're in prisons a fair amount, um, what's your experience been? Have you had much um, uh, exposure to the staff and guards?
1: Sure. And, and I'm actually going to be doing a presentation to probation officers um, coming up soon to talk about vicarious traumatization. So um, what happens is people in law enforcement um, get um, vicariously traumatized through reading, experiencing, learning about heinous crimes, investigating heinous crimes, um, seeing photographs of crime scenes, or being um, involved uh, in community monitoring, experiencing things in the community. And so there's, um, which is wonderful, there's research and data to talk about what people haven't talked about in many years. It's just, a you know, prosecutors, judges, defense attorneys. I mean, all of these professionals who have committed their lives to being involved in the criminal justice system are also getting vicariously traumatized through experiencing and hearing about, you know, heinous things that happen to others. And so we need to make sure that there are resources uh, for people. People aren't embarrassed to talk about what's going on with them. We want to reduce burnout. So that contributes to burnout, it contributes to people making poor judgments. It contributes to people being angry, being irritable, quick to pull a trigger or quick to yell at an inmate or, you know, all all kinds of, of those things that are very, very subtle um, because it doesn't happen in just one day. It's just kind of this progressive um, experience that people have where. You know, they just become a little irritable, a little angry, a little short tempered. And when we're like that, we're not at our best. We're not using our brains the best. So we need to, to let people that are on the professional side in the criminal justice system, give them skills and opportunities so they can, you know, take care of themselves and not um, not react poorly in very difficult, stressful situations.
0: Um, where do you see the future of psychology going?
1: Um, well, I, I mean, obviously I'm a big proponent of psychology. I feel like psychology is involved in every aspect, right? Involved in business, involved in organizations, involved in healthcare. care. Um, so, um, I, you know, and it's a science. So it's a science. We've got science that can help all different aspects of human domains and functioning in our community uh, psychologists need to be doing a better job at letting people know what we can have we, what we have to offer um, various stakeholders in our communities and what you know how much we can really add to um, and especially in healthcare I mean we, we have so much to add as an adjunct to physicians um, from orthopedics to cardiac to, I mean, you name it. Um, uh, Sports, you know, sports psychology is really, you know, you talk, it's so, I listen to when they interview uh, elite athletes after, um, after games, and I would say 100% of the time they talk about my mental focus, or my head in the game. Um, and, And so, and when you're, when you're that, when you're at that, that level, that is the difference. The mental game is the difference. Everybody is strong enough. Everybody's fast enough. Um, but it's, it's the mental part, um, uh, in, in athletes that really separates the, the winners from second place. Uh, so I find that very fascinating and I find, and people don't talk, you know, it's not, so publicized that that's psychology that's 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 what we do and we've got research to help out elite athletes Um, so I I think that the future for psychology is more integration um, more access we certainly need um, need and, and less stigma so that people are not afraid to go to the shrink. It doesn't mean that they're broken or that they have mental illness for the rest of their life. Um, that it's an addition, it's, it's an addition to your life. It's a way to help you uh, problem solving. You don't have to be in therapy 10 times a week and <laughs> uh, to solve a problem, you know? It can be quick and just uh, somebody to assist you in making, um, working through a problem.
0: Well, we have to get rid of the stigma for anything that's wrong with the brain, you know? And plus, these are invisible problems as opposed to if you're in a wheelchair or something like that. And for the person who's seeing a shrink, uh, it's almost like being gay 50 years ago. I mean, it's like you've got to stay in the closet. Don't let anybody know. Don't let your boss know. Don't let your colleagues know. Right, right. And we have, to, we have to get rid of that stigma. I want the President of the United States to wear a T-shirt that says, my brain is different. We'll get there. We'll get there. We've had the pleasure today of speaking with Dr. Lori Butts, who is the founder of the Clinical and Forensic Institute, Inc., and the past president of the Florida Psychological Association. Lori, thank you so much for being
1: here. Thank you so much, Haki. It was a pleasure.
0: For more information, visit us at differentbrains.com